Well, good morning, White Lake family. It is truly great to be with you. Uh, Bonnie and I were at the Plymouth campus two weeks ago at the Lapeer campus, and I just want you to know we genuinely missed you. It was, uh, it was not the same without you guys. And so it is wonderful to be back with you this morning. Now, I want to begin by just acknowledging something I think that most of us can agree with, we can kind of align with, that our state is a divided state. We are pretty divided. Now, of course, there's the typical political divide. You have Republicans, you have Democrats. You go on the cultural divide, you have suburban and urban. If you want to go kind of a little deeper here in Detroit, we can have something maybe less important than most people outside of the region would understand, but you have Lafayette Coney dogs and you have American Coney dogs. Few divisions can match a different division in our fine state. Few divisions have the intensity of the division between the University of Michigan or the Michigan State University. That was weak. Now, I do want you to know the first service, they, they, they got a little loud, so I'm just going to go ahead and ask you. You weren't prompted there. You just kind of jumped in. I want to begin now by just saying how many of you, by show of hands or hoots and hollers, feel free, uh, are for the Wolverines? Okay. How many of you are Sparties? All right. I want you to know this week, Bonnie and Bethany and I drove up to Flint and we saw a store that demonstrated that division that we have in our state. This place is called the Split Mitt. Half of the store features University of Michigan gear. The other half features Michigan State gear. Now, I'm told that if, uh, if you go back into the kind of the, the history of this church or this, uh, this particular store, what you will find is that there are doors on either side. And if you are a Michigan fan, you won't even walk in the door of the Michigan State side. That's what I'm told. Now, this is a cool place that provides kind of a, a visual image of what we're talking about, about this clear division in our state. And we can smile about that division. We can have some good fun about it. And it's going to get a little more intense here as we head into the fall with college football right around the corner. But we can laugh about that, but the reality is when we kind of bring it back in and recognize what's going on in our culture, we live in deeply divided times. I don't think many of us would have a hard time pointing to this time in our culture as perhaps the most divided time that we have seen as Americans. What we see on the news, what we see on television when we have kind of an issue What we find are people who cross their arms, close their minds, and retreat to opposing corners as if we're in a heavyweight boxing match. That's what we see in our world today. But I want you to know that as followers of Christ, as believers in Jesus, there is another way. 
It doesn't have to be like that. We're going to look at that other way, but first, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you have invited us here today to meet with you, to meet with you, to bring an offering of praise because that is what you are due. You are worthy of our praise and our affection and our attention, God. You are worthy. And so, God, we're here in the midst of the ebbs and flows and the divides that we feel in our culture, we are here today, God, because we desire to know what your truth says to us. God, we acknowledge that your word is truth and it has everything we need to walk out our faith in real, practical, tangible, and significant ways. So God, give us eyes to see this truth today. God, we ask for ears to hear this truth and then genuine, humble hearts before you that you might work with your spirit through us to live out this truth in the week ahead. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we do begin a new sermon series titled Divide. And if you look at that little subheading, it says Seeking Unity in a Fractured World. And as we have already talked about, it certainly is a fractured world. Now, this morning, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be turning to uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. It is the first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and we're going to be looking at the first chapter and the first few verses of that particular letter. You might say, well, why is that important? Because what we're going to be looking at is how Paul guides believers in a very diverse culture, how he guides believers to overcome the divisions that you and I might have. And that is why what we're reading today matters for you and for me as we walk out our journey. So let me encourage you, go ahead and grab your Bible. We're going to be turning to 1 Corinthians and looking at those first few verses in the book. You will find that on page 952 in your ESV Bible. If you are here today and do not have a Bible, if you head down that hallway, we have gift Bibles there, and we would love to give those to you uh, because that is what we believe and that is what we stand upon here at Woodside. Now, having said that, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the Lord or name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle has written a letter. He's written a letter for a group of people in a place called Corinth. Now, what we need to know about Corinth is it is this location that is this amazing piece of land and is in the southern portion of Greece. And it is in between two gulfs. And so as you might imagine, in this time period, there's a lot of activity on those gulfs, and so this is a prime location. Uh, scholars will tell us that Corinth was made for greatness simply by its location. 
You see, it was a pass-through. If you were going north to south, people would go through Corinth. If you were going east to west, people, again, would go through Corinth. Now, as this kind of passed through, this made Corinth a hotbed for trading and for commerce. It was this great location that would naturally fuel a lot of trading and a lot of money that would go through this, this area. And with money would come wealth and would come luxury. But when you have money and wealth, when you have luxury, there's also the temptation to have the the trappings of debauchery and drunkenness. And to be honest, that's what Corinth was known for. Corinth was so wild, in fact, that its name became synonymous with evil living. Somebody would say, well, I'm from Corinth, and you'd have that kind of idea in your mind. That person may be a little sketchy. It's into this cultural setting. It's into this environment that Paul writes his letter. So let's, let's dig in. Look at verse 1 again. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. So what's going on here? Paul, along with his his uh, writing partner, a guy by the name of Sosthenes, a scribe, he begins his communication by establishing his credentials. He is called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. That's who he is. Once he establishes that, then he moves into the kind of central idea or the primary emphasis of what is to come, the collective community of Christ followers. I'm going to say that one more time, the collective community of Christ followers, and that matters as we continue on in the letter. Keep that in mind. A total of 10 times in the first 10 verses of 1 Corinthians, Paul highlights one name, the name of Jesus. Jesus is the central thought, the central theme. Amidst a diverse culture, amidst a difficult spiritual setting, Paul mentions the name of Jesus because Jesus is the central focus of all that would follow in his letter. He begins the letter with Christ again and again and again. He wants people to know the deep love that Jesus has for his people. He wants them to know the significance of Jesus' death on a cross, the sacrificial death that gives people of faith a deep and abiding bond. If you are in Christ, you have this bond. And this summarizes this kind of area of the text. We are called together in Christ Jesus. You and I are called together in Christ. This is the foundation upon which the apostle gives believers and gives you and I as we read this text a way to work through the divisions that we're talking about. Because we have a lot of divisions in our culture, and I've already talked to you about a lot of the stuff that was going on in Corinth at the time, and there were a lot of divisions. And so as he starts his letter, he doesn't begin with an emphasis on the law. He doesn't begin with an emphasis on kind of human justice issues. He does not begin the letter politically. He begins the letter by calling upon Jesus and his church. 
Look again at verse 1. To the church of God that is in Corinth. It's a people set apart. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus. To those called to be saints. Their identity is in Christ. It's not in some other issue. Their identity is in Christ. And this should influence everything that he is going to say in the rest of the letter. And this is true for all of us here this morning who profess Jesus as our Lord. It is from that identity, whether we are a man, a woman, or a child, people who've been loved and forgiven and redeemed by Christ, and this is the source of our unity. This is the source of how we face division, and in the face of it, we come together around Christ. Now, as we are found in Christ today, there are three characteristics that we are going to look at for all who are in Christ. And the first one is this, we are called to holiness. Believers are called to holiness. This is the central thought that Paul emphasizes here when he declares that we have been sanctified in Jesus Christ. He's informing them in doing this. He's reminding them that in Christ we are, in fact, set apart. We're different. That's true of us today, too. Followers of Christ view our world differently. Followers of Jesus have different priorities. Followers of Christ have different values than what we see in our world today. Now, that is most certainly true in an environment like Corinth. Remember, it was the place of evil. But it's also true right here in White Lake today. It's true of us as well. I'd say, well, Pastor, how do you see that playing out in our own lives? What does that look like? Well, I'm just going to highlight two specific areas. The first area is money. Money. The way we view and handle our finances should be different than others. If we are in Christ, it should look different. Instead of spending on all of our wants and our whims and our desires, we give sacrificially to the church. We give sacrificially to the work and the advancement of the gospel. That's what we do. Now, for those of you who are here this morning and you are giving faithfully and sacrificially and consistently as your pastor, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being different than the world. Thank you for being set apart in your holiness because you give faithfully, not to me, but to the church, the big C church, as the advancement of the gospel goes into our community. Thank you for being a part of that. And the second area I want to highlight, a little more controversial. The second area that should look different is our sexuality. The way we view and deal with the human body should be different than what happens in the context of our culture. Instead of giving in to our every thought and our every desire, those set apart by God should, in fact, strive for purity. Purity in our thoughts, purity in our actions. It's not hard to look in our culture and see that promiscuity and pornography have become commonplace in our culture, and as believers, that should not be. 
See, money and sexuality were two areas that ran wild in the hearts and the minds of those in Corinth. And the fact of the matter is, if we are looking, they are running wild in our culture today. And yet, and yet believers are called to something better, to something more significant. Church family, to all who have a faith in Jesus, you are justified, as we proclaimed a few moments ago, we are justified by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is where we find our justification. And then we are sanctified by Jesus as we walk in faithfulness, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's how we walk in holiness. That's how we are called to holiness, to live as justified people with God doing the work of sanctification in our lives. Now, let's return to the text, pick it up at verse 2 to see something that I believe is really significant and relevant to us today. So let's look at verse 2. Together, Paul writes, with all those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So what happens when you read through Paul's letters? He wrote a number of different letters to a bunch of different people groups. And what oftentimes you'll see in Paul's letters is he will write something very specific. So to the Ephesians, he addresses the husbands. In another letter, he addresses the elders. He's kind of very targeted in his approach who he's talking to. In this particular letter, it's different. He writes to us collectively. He writes to the whole group. You'd say, well, why does he do that? What's the significance of that? The significance of that is to help the believers in Corinth and all who read this letter to see the importance of unity. Because that is what we are called to. We are called to unity in Jesus. Believers are called to unity in Christ. So remember, Paul begins and establishes who he is. That's how he starts the letter. Then uh, he highlights those in Corinth whose they are. And now he lays the foundation to understand that believers are all linked together and it doesn't matter what our location might be. He says, together. With all those in every place. Where is that? It's every place. Who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that means those in Corinth. That means those in Jerusalem. Fast forward a few hundred years. That means those in Wittenberg. Fast forward another few hundred years. That means those right here in White Lake. We are all linked and connected by our shared faith in Jesus the Christ. Anyone who's ever been on a global mission trip understands exactly what I'm talking about. If you have ever traveled the world, you can go to a place where geography is completely different. Culture, totally different. Language, can't communicate. And yet, there is this barrier that is broken because of our deep connection that we have that is rooted in Jesus we have this unity that happens across all these boundaries and it is absolutely beautiful. It's beautiful. And it is only found in Christ. And yet this experience, as we think of the global side, this experience should also cause us to pause. 
and ask a really important question. Why is it that it is often easier to experience unity with believers on the other side of the world than it is to experience unity with believers down the street? Why is that? But they're from a different denomination, Pastor. They, they have different styles than we do. Their music is strange. Their ministry methods, way different. Their preaching, man, very different. These things should not cause division in the body of Christ. They should not. Now, the truth is the past couple weeks were a stretch for some of you. Not because you think I'm the best preacher that you've ever heard, not at all, but because C.T., who preached two weeks ago from our Lapeer campus, and then Jim Dalkey, who preached uh, last week from our Lake Orion campus because they were different styles than what you were used to. Some of you liked the variety. I heard from others of you. You did not. Yet the experience was good. The experience was healthy for all of us because it serves to remind us that our unity is not based upon styles, but our unity is based and it is rooted and it's find its foundation in Jesus. That's where we find our unity. I love the way author Mark Buchanan addresses this issue. Here's what he writes. He says, differences, they serve only to enliven rather than undermine our friendships. They make for fun banter. They spice and vary our conversations, keeping our relationships from staleness and blandness. We need only to agree with one another in the Lord. I love that. Church, being called to unity means that we are called by God to unity with other believers on the other side of the world as well as down the street. Now let's wrap up our look at today's text by seeing how Paul closes out his greeting at the beginning of his first letter. Here's what he writes. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the final words of Paul's salutation are actually a blessing to the church in Corinth. But it's a blessing that has tremendous theological significance. It is very important. You see, Paul desires for them to understand and to experience God's amazing grace and the peace that comes from knowing Christ. That is what he wants to establish at the beginning. He says, by faith, you experience God's grace. By faith, you experience his peace. And then what he does is he gives a clear biblical vision clear vision for all who are in Christ to be gracious peacemakers. You and I should be about the business of gracious peacemaking. For you and I to understand what that means, it requires an understanding of that religious word that's often talked about in churches, that grace word. But if we are going to practice grace, it's helpful if we know grace and we know what it means. It's tossed around quite easily and liberally, and it should be. 
but we should also have an understanding of what it is. So theologically, grace means that we have been given unmerited favor by a good and holy and righteous God. Unmerited favor. It means that we are undeserving recipients of God's goodness. Let me put it another way. Grace is getting what you and I do not deserve. That's grace. This is what Paul wants the Corinthians and all who read this letter to experience in increasing measure, grace upon grace. I want to pause right here and just acknowledge the fact that most of us as we're hearing this would say, well, of course he wants that. He absolutely, absolutely wants everybody to experience God's grace and know it more and more and more. But where is this leading me? Where is this leading me today, some 2,000 years after this letter was actually written? Well, in a phrase, I'm going to throw it out there again. It's all about grace. Because the more we truly understand and experience God's grace in our lives, the more gracious you and I will be to others. Recipients of God's grace freely give God's grace. I'm going to say that one more time. Recipients of God's grace freely give God's grace. And in Christ, if we've been given something that we do not deserve, it is from this deep well that God's people are called to be gracious and treat others the way they don't deserve. Why? Because you've been treated the way you don't deserve. So out of that well, that's where we flow and we should be gracious peacemakers because God has been gracious to us. I'd like to close today by turning our attention to how we began. Thinking about that great divide that we feel in our world today, the divisions that we see everywhere. If we are paying attention, just five minutes on our favorite news website, no matter what that website might be, five minutes should cause us as believers to lament a little about what's happening in our world. Just stay there for a few minutes. Let it penetrate your heart. But don't stay there too long. Don't stay there too long because there is a challenge for us, for people of faith, to look at the current state and then I want to cause you to move beyond lamenting and see it in a different way. Because if we are truly as divided as it seems that we are in our world, then followers of Jesus have more opportunity than ever before. If it is getting darker and darker and darker, people of light have more impact. The church of God called together in Christ has a clear and direct calling to show the kind of unity that others cannot comprehend, can't understand it. You'd say, well, how can we do this? Like Paul the author of Hebrews, tells us that it is all about grace. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace because it is there, 
in Jesus Christ where you and I find our strength. Strength to come together. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.